0: O Lord, I call upon you. Hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart incline to any evil, to busy myself with wicked deeds, in company with men who work iniquity, and let me not eat of their delicacies." Those are the first four verses of Psalm 141, which, along with Psalm 143, are the psalms appointed for today, Friday, August the 19th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We're continuing our look at the book of Job today, the second chapter, the first 13 13 verses there, John's Gospel, we're in chapter 6 still, verses 27 to 40, and in Acts, uh, the Apostles chapter 9, the first nine verses there. So remember yesterday the, the situation was God was meeting with the sons of God. So the angels, they're all meeting together and the Satan comes up and as I said, that's not a um, it's not a proper noun. Um, it, it's a it, it is um, a job, the Satan. So he comes and, and God says, Have you checked out my servant Job? He's blameless and upright, he fears the Lord and eschews evil And he says, of course he does. You bless him in all kinds of different ways. And he said, okay, take away everything that he has. And so he takes away his ten children, all his camels, all his donkeys, all his oxen, all his sheep, and all his servants. And now all he's got left is him and his wife. And so here we are now. And Job didn't curse God. Job did not sin, we're told. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and the Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to the Satan, from where have you come? Same conversation. The Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said to the Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Here we go again. There's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He's going to add a little bit here. That was yesterday's speech. This is today's. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. In other words, you were wrong. You said that he would turn on me and he would curse me to my face if I did these things to him. And you were wrong. The Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin. All that a man has, he'll give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he'll curse you to your face. And the Lord said to the Satan, Behold, he's in your hand. Only spare his life. In other words, there's limits again. And the limit this time, the limit last time was he couldn't touch Job himself, only his stuff including his children. Now it's limited to you can harm him, but you can't kill him. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. I'm not sure that it could get much worse. He took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. What a pathetic sight that is to think about this man who was so great who was one of the wealthiest men and one of the greatest men in the East at the time, now sitting, scraping himself in the ashes with a piece of broken pottery. And his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity, curse God, and die? It's because the belief was, was that if you did that, you would die. That would be the quick way. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? So in other words, hey, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, you know, it's, it's only fair that, that we celebrate him and we worship him and we continue to follow him even if, even if we don't understand and even if it's painful. In all this, listen to this, Job did not sin with his lips. <laughs> that tells us something about the inner life of Job in this situation what we've got to read into that is is that yep he didn't say the things he was thinking out loud now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him they came each from his own place Eliphaz the Temanite Bildad the Shuite and Zophar the Namathite they made an appointment together so in other words they made a plan to come to show him Job sympathy and comfort him and when they saw him from a distance they didn't recognize him the man was completely unrecognizable because of the affliction that had come upon him. It has disfigured him in ways that, that even his friends don't recognize him as they come upon him. And I had an experience like that recently, in fact. Um, we were somewhere, um, and I, somebody who I hadn't seen in a long time came in, and I didn't recognize them right away. They had to tell me who they were. They'd been going through uh, treatment for cancer, and, and they didn't look the same to me. Once I saw it, then I, then, then I knew you know, oh my gosh! I just—I'm sorry, I didn't recognize you. It was because of all that they had been through and all that they had been enduring. They were—they were going through chemo and uh, radiation and all that stuff, and, and it, it just—they didn't look like themselves, and, and I didn't recognize them. And so here, his friends come, and because of the the sores all over his body, it, it had so changed him that even his his friends didn't recognize him as they came up, and as—and they raised their voices and wept. And they tore their clothes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. So they joined him in his mourning, their mourning for Job and for all that he has endured. And, and it's a good thing when people come and, and sit with you. You know, we experienced a lot of that over the last couple of months. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. It, they They're good friends. They're good friends. They saw that his suffering was great and there was nothing they could do. And, and so when we were at the funeral home um, for Will, people would come up and say, John, I don't know what to say. And what I told every single one of them was the most eloquent thing you could possibly say to me is by standing here in front of me so that I can see you. And you're sharing your concern, your grief and your love for us by being present with us. In this moment. And and that's the most important thing that we have to offer people. We don't have answers to all the questions. God doesn't allow us to have all the answers to all the questions in this life. Some things are an absolute mystery and but what we have to do is that little syllogism that I told you about before that, that I've used in, in order to navigate so many things in life, but particularly most recently, which is is that God is good. He only gives good gifts to his children. We are his children. Therefore, this must be good in a way that I can't see it today. And that's that's important that we adopt that attitude. That's Job's attitude. It, when he says, um, shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? He is drawing a distinction between good and evil here that's wrong. He doesn't know. It, it's premature to make that that diagnosis and it's also limiting what evil means to the way it affects me in this life and I don't know honestly I can't pronounce things evil because well let's look at Paul for instance when he and Silas were put into prison in, in Philippi they're beaten and then they're thrown into prison and what do they do when they get there well they rejoice and they worship in the prison And what happens there is is that that then they're set free by the Lord from their bonds and they make a convert the Philippian jailer and so what seemed evil at the time God used for good in the same way that Joseph can say after all the affliction that I suffered in Egypt by being in prison by being sold into slavery and all that God used it for good you meant it for evil but God used it for good and it's always important that we continue to let God have the last word on all things (laughs) in the uh gospel today remember jesus had had said you people are only following me because you wanted food and stop working for the stuff that doesn't uh perish but for the food that endures to eternal life which the son of man will give you for on him god the father has set his seal so he's clearly pointing to himself as this person then they said to him what must we do to be doing the works of god now that's an odd question except jesus said do not work For the food that perishes but for the food that endures to eternal life and so they heard the word work and they slept on that and they're gonna use it now so what do we have to do to to do the works of God how do we get God's blessing what do we have to do how do we have to hold our mouths a certain way what do we do here and and Jesus is saying none of these things because what he said is the son of man will give you this food he says don't work for the food that perishes but for the food that endures to eternal life which the son of man will give you so what they hear is is that I've got to work to be able to receive that food and and that's what i want is that food so what do we have to do to get the food that's what, exactly what they're asking jesus answered him this is the work of god that you believe in him whom he has sent that's the work just exactly the same way that peter when he answers at pentecost what must we do to be saved he says repent and be baptized in the name of the lord jesus what well, seems too simple It seems like there's something I ought to have to do more than that, because even that faith doesn't come from myself. And so when he says this, they respond and say, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Well, I fed 5,000 of you yesterday with only a little bit of food, and that didn't seem to be a good enough sign for you. You followed me because the signs you saw me doing on the sick, and well, that didn't seem to be a good enough sign uh, for you to believe, so I'm not quite sure. You know, And so they, they say, well, so what kind of sign do you do? And then they give him the sign that they want to suggest to him. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it's written, he gave them bread um, from heaven to eat. So how about that? How about you do that? Which is exactly what he said they wanted. <laughs> food. They, they, you're here because of the food, not because of the sign, because of the food. And so what do they do? Well, they give him the option of providing food. <laughs> Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. It's exactly what the woman at the well said. Sir, give me this this water always so that I won't thirst again, nor have to come to this well to get water. And so they want this food. They want this food that's like the manna in that it, it continues to come. It continues to be there in all seasons. So the true bread from heaven that they're looking for, they're still thinking in a materialistic way, but at some level he has piqued their, um, their attention and their curiosity about what is this bread from heaven? Who is this one who comes down and gives life to the world? We want that bread. We, we want to eat the bread that gives life. In other words, we want to eat from the fruit of the tree of life that's what he's done is he we so we've talked about good and evil we've talked about all these things and now here Jesus offers them the the bread of life which is the the fruit of the tree of life and so he's offering them this but it's he who comes down and gives life to the world so give us that bread we want to be able to eat of the tree of life he said I'm the bread of life whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst but I said to you that you've seen me and yet you do not believe all that the father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I'll never cast out because if the father draws them, then he wanted them to be part of the kingdom. He said, I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. In other words, your perseverance is me holding on. <laughs> it's me holding on to you for dear life in order that we don't lose you. I'll come and find you, and once I bring you back into the fold, then I'm going to do everything necessary to keep you in the fold. So, the will of God is that I not lose anything of what He has given to me, but raise it up on the last day in that eternal life. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. So, it's not our faith even that raises us up on the last day. The faith is a gift. And the raising up on the last day is a gift because who's going to do that he says twice there i will raise him up on the last day so it's a it's an act of the will of jesus for us to be brought in the father brings draws us and then jesus keeps us and he won't lose anything that's truly his he's jealous and zealous for us so much so that he went to the cross what he's telling us here, he's giving us the assurance of salvation if we are in him. We have to do the work. We have to do the work of, of, of abiding in him, and we do that by prayer, by meditation, by reading the Word of God, and by doing all the things that he commands. When we do those things, we show that we love him, and we abide in him, and we, we have the confidence that we need at that point to know what john says in first john four is is that perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with judgment and so we know that we need not fear but we need to abide and we need to do it with all our heart we need to set our minds and our hearts on the things of the kingdom of god the eternal things as as um, job is attempting to do here now that he's lost everything and he's he's now also being told by his wife you need to curse God and die Um, and then and then he says no I'm not gonna do that I'm not gonna do that I trust God no matter how painful it is today (laughs) so in the epistle So remember yesterday we had Philip who had gone to Samaria and reaped a harvest there. Then he goes down at the behest of the angel of the Lord to the place where he can meet with the Ethiopian eunuch and bring him into the kingdom. Then he goes to Azotus, and now we're changing the subject completely. As this harvest is going on, we get but Saul— still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So Paul is going to go up to Syria, up to Damascus, and he is going to search out the synagogues there for Christians. And if there are any there, he's going to bring them back to Jerusalem bound Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? He's recognizing this this voice is coming from heaven, is coming from the same place where this light is coming. And the voice said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you'll be told what you're to do. And as I've said many times, can you imagine in Paul's shoes, he's out there persecuting Christians and he's uh, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of Jesus To, to hear suddenly a voice from heaven proclaim, I am Jesus, had to have shaken Paul to his very core. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I'm persecuting the one whose voice I'm hearing from heaven. That's probably not the best look I'm ever going to have. And, and But rise and enter the city and you'll be told what you're to do. It's pretty cryptic. <laughs> what you're to do. Well, I know what I'm doing. I know what I came here for. And that's I had these letters from the high priest. Apparently you seem to have more like authority than him. So... He goes. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened physically, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. So you can see a similarity between his reaction here and Job's reaction to his own situation, where he's he just, Paul, Paul Saul is here in this dumbfounded What do you mean what I'm going to do? What am I going to do? And the Lord doesn't tell him what that means. There's no content to that. It's just a statement. And so he goes into the city of Damascus, and he's sitting there for the next three days blind and fasting. It's a a good reaction (laughs) in a lot of ways because what he's acknowledging and what he's sitting in in this is, what have I done? What have I done? He's probably not spending a whole lot of time thinking. I'll bet you there's some sort of glory in this for me. I bet the Lord has a job for me to do. That's the reason He struck me blind and spoke to me and stopped me from the murderous intention that I had. And so He's probably not thinking. I'll, I'll bet. I bet I better get a job out of this. I'll bet that He gives me the opportunity to go and and spread the news abroad. I doubt that that's what Paul was thinking at all. It's not what Job was thinking either, but thousands and thousands of years later, we read Job's story and we find comfort in it because we know God's in it. We know God sees, we know God hears, we know God knows, and we know God cares. And that's important. It's very important. We can grieve the loss of things, but but what we shouldn't ever do is question the goodness of God because of our pain. And it's a temptation that's easy to give into is, why did you let this happen to me? I know it's a temptation. I know how tempting it is because I've done it a lot. I've probably told this story before. When I first came back to the Lord, I was around 30 and uh, ran into a guy who became a really close friend over the next few years, who um, was sort of experiencing his own spiritual rebirth at the same time. And we began reading books together. And and during, during this time, I was struggling um emotionally with uh, and when, when i say emotionally what happened was is that the my partner had defrauded our primary um client and and when he did it wrecked our business and so it was all this happens right at the same time that i'm coming back to the lord and, and i'm so confused because i've been reading all these sort of self-help and health and wealth kind of things and, and it really i couldn't reconcile what i was going through with that didn't make any sense it is it god doesn't care about me god doesn't love me because if he did he would give me all these things and, and that's a default theology that everybody kind of has is that if i do the right things then everything will come out okay but, but i talked about job and compared myself to job a good bit and so at one point we were going to read another book and, and my friend chose the book because we took turns and he inscribed this one to me and it was written to jonah my reaction was, what in the world? Why, what do you mean to Jonah? He said, well, that's who you talk about all the time. I said, no, it's Job that I'm talking about. And he was like, well, I, I don't know what to say. And then as I began to allow the Lord to speak into it, what I realized is that I had a whole lot more in common with Job, Jonah than I did with Job. I was just feeling sorry for myself. And so because I had been disobedient and I'd run in a different direction when I knew what the Lord wanted me to do. So the reason I was in this painful situation was not because of him, because of me. I made a bad, dumb choice. And so anyway, that we've got to get the ideas out of our heads that, that the Lord's bound to, to bless anything that we undertake. He's not, actually. And just because something, quote, fails in an earthly sense doesn't mean it failed in any kind of a heavenly sense. We don't know. We want to measure good and evil. We want to be able to speak into and say what's good and evil. But the reality is we, we, do, we just don't know people this day thought it would be great if they could have some more food in the gospel jesus was offering them much more than that but they were disappointed because they didn't get food so what is paul thinking here what's he going through and what does he believe is next in his life and we tend to measure things the wrong way we tend to get surprised by god at what's next and so here paul could never imagine never ever ever have imagined the ministry and the mission god had for him let's not try and measure the future based on what we think of the past or the present let's always allow ourselves to be led by god and surprised by god